So today we're going to continue our sermon series. It's a short sermon series called This is the Gospel. And we focused on Palm Sunday, on the life of Jesus, that it was absolutely sinless. And why that is such, the gospel means good news. And why that is such good news is because we know each day that we fall short of the glory of God. We know that on our best day, we are not sinless. We know our thoughts and attitudes and behaviors are contrary to the law of God and the law of love. So we need someone to do what we could never do, live a perfect life. And we need that life by faith to be accounted to us. And Jesus overcame all temptation. He lived perfectly throughout his life, sinless, fully God and fully man. Then we realize because we have sinned, who's going to pay the punishment for that sin? Because the wages of sin are death. So someone needs to pay the punishment for the sins that we all have committed. And Friday night on Good Friday, we talk about why it's so good. Because Jesus stepped in to become the big word for Friday night is propitiation. He became the object of God's wrath, taking our place, and justice was served because it's not like we got away with sinning. It's Jesus paid for our sins so we could be pardoned, and that's absolutely great news. And today is a little more cheerful because we believe with all our heart that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, who rose from the dead. Amen? This is central to our faith. Life is central to our faith. The resurrection is central to our faith. Now, this life has a lot of suffering, a lot of brokenness, a lot of self-denial. But the hope we have is that this life is not all there is. And that's why we can suffer and why we can do good and why we can believe through all obstacles and challenges and temptations. That's when we can deny ourselves knowing that God rewards everyone who lives for the glory of his name and lives for others and proclaims his name and proclaims his resurrection. Today I want you to have great hope. And I'm going to start off with a light story because that's what I like to do. So we got a hamster. You like how I... Sh good transition? I was happy we got a hamster because it's a boy. I can't watch one more episode of Yes to the Dress. You understand me? My house is full of women. I'm trying to watch the Celtics in peace. They're yelling at me when the playoffs over. It's not easy out here. So we got a boy hamster. I'm like, his name is Johnny. We call him Johnny Boy. He's the best hamster in the game. Good-looking hamster. He cuddles. He doesn't bite. I usually don't care about the hamsters, but I'm like, give me this hamster. If I could walk him, I'd put him on a leash, but that's getting carried away. It's just good to have another boy in the house. You know, the other day, I said, we needed something to do on Saturday. I said, let's go axe throwing. I thought it was a great idea. The girls, psh, it didn't even get any more conversation. We love this hamster. He's our only pet because I'm allergic to dogs, cats, and any other thing that has fur besides a hamster. But on Wednesday night, something horrible almost happened. And I didn't find out to, about till Thursday morning. We get up pretty early, and it's still dark out, and Natalie walks up to me, and she goes, Johnny Boy's dead. I said, don't you talk like that. 
He said, Johnny boy's down. I didn't want to wake you up, but he's not moving. We, I tried to get him going. He's dead. I didn't want to ruin your night's sleep. So I said, wow, what a start to the day. Johnny went down. I don't want to deal with this. Then you start thinking, why did I get a hamster? Now we got to deal with dead animals. I don't want to do this. So I walk over to the cage, and I looked, and Johnny wasn't moving, but all of a sudden I saw a little hamster twitch. Johnny was alive. You see where I'm going. Natalie looks at me dead serious and goes, I prayed for him, he was dead. <laughs> she don't understand, this hamster was dead. I prayed for him, he's been resurrected from the hamster grave. <laughs> First of all, I was like, Natalie, he probably just wasn't moving, I'm thinking, but I said, okay, you know. But the emotions I went through over this hamster being dead. Johnny boy was down. I was like, I love Johnny. He's part of our life. He's dead. He's alive. The range of emotions was so unbelievable that it made me start thinking, first of all, if your hamster dies, calls us. Natalie will pray for your hamster if it dies. But, I mean, the hamster probably just wasn't moving. She didn't resurrect him. But it made me start thinking, how much greater it's going to be when those who have passed away, those we love, we get to see them in all the heavenly glory and the power and the resurrection and life that Jesus gives. Some of you have lost people so close to you that you love with all your heart. And I'm here to encourage you today. For those whose faith was in Christ, that's not it for them. You will see them again because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And it wears on you each day, and I want to give you hope that we are only dust and this life passes quickly and we should enjoy it and love each other. But it's a fleeting moment. But all those who are in Christ, we will see one day again with joy on their face. We will hold them. Jesus will be in our midst. Why? Because Jesus really did rise from the grave. And that's great news for us. Amen? I want you to find great hope in that today because this is central to our faith. It's life. It's re resurrection. It's that Jesus undid what death tried to do. That's why our great leaders of the faith, like Apostle Paul said, death has no sting. Don't tempt me with a good time. He said, if I die, I die. What does that mean? I'm with Christ. He did not cling to this life because he knew this is just the prequel to the next chapter that is so much more glorious. Amen? So we're going to focus on three things today. What does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Why does it matter for our life? And how do we apply that Jesus is the resurrection and the life to us? So your preacher forgot a Bible to read the verses, so give me a second to grab one of these trusty ESVs, and if you would turn with me to John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, that's what we're going to learn from today. John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Now we're going to focus on Jesus raising someone from the dead today, but towards the tail end, we'll talk about his actual resurrection. 
But I want you to see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life today. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And that's the text that we will learn from today. So let's start here with Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. What does that mean? I'm going to give a short journey through this story. This, I read you 10 verses. There's like 40 plus verses in chapter 11 on this. I didn't want to drag you in here on Easter and read like 50 verses to you. I thought it was mean as a pastor. So I'm going to get it down to 10 verses, but we're going to talk through the whole story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. First and foremost, Lazarus was a great friend of Jesus. And his sisters were too, Mary and Martha. He loved them. He spent time with them. Actually, Mary was the one who washed Jesus' feet with the ointment. They were very special to him. They were like family. And he gets the word that Lazarus is very ill. They're calling for him to come and heal Lazarus. Now Jesus is doing his ministry in Galilee. He's out there healing people, casting out demons, doing mighty signs and wonders. So he's a little far away. It takes him about two days to get to them. By that time, Lazarus has died. Now, Jesus ran on his own time. Jesus was not and is not ever in a rush. God's not in a rush. He had a divine clock he worked on, a divine timetable. And you'll learn in different cultures, I've been learning about this a little bit more, different cultures look at time very differently. And I'll give, I'll give you a few things here. For the Japanese culture, if you're a minute late, or, or let me say it like this, if you're a minute after the agreed-upon time, you're late. In South Korea, if you're late, it's an insult, like 10 minutes. In Germany, you're expected to be there 10 minutes early. In Brazil, you show up an hour or two later, they're like, <laughs> glad you showed up. And it's a different way you look at it in each culture. People look at time totally different. If you show up late in Brazil, you're the important person. Look at all these people being on time. I shall enter on my own time. And you walk in. The way we conceive time is totally different according to culture. And you look throughout Jesus' life, people constantly just saying, Jesus, where were you? And what is the first thing Martha says to him? She said, if you were here two days ago, my brother wouldn't have died. So Jesus, you're late. Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing here, 
No, Martha, you don't understand fully. Christ is never late. God is never late. His timing is always perfect. Even in our own lives, if things seem late, it's because he has better things waiting for our good, and we need to trust God's timetable. Amen? And that's just a little side sermon. But Martha, he says, and I want to kind of read these words to you so we get the heart of them here. Martha thinks that when Jesus says he will rise again, Jesus says he will rise again. She says, yeah, on the last day. And Jesus basically says, once again, paraphrasing, with the Bostonian inside of me, (laughs) Martha, you don't understand. I'm the resurrection and the life. Though he may seem dead, he's going to live. And he goes on to perform before his own resurrection, what may be considered his greatest miracle in front of the people that he ever did. He calls out rotting Lazarus four days in his tomb in front of everyone, in front of those who opposed him, those who believed in him, those who were trying to figure out who Jesus was. He cries out and a dead man comes out of his tomb and he's alive again. This is right before they rejoice in him being the king on Palm Sunday. Many, many believe. It actually says that after he did this miracle, he couldn't even go out in public anymore because people wanted to murder him, his enemies, so bad. Because it was so miraculous. Now, what does it mean when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life? What Jesus is simply saying here, but it's so powerful, is I am the author of life, I am the source of life, and I have the power over life and death itself. I am the author of life, Jesus says. I am the source of life, and I have the power over life and death itself. That's what Jesus means um, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, why does this matter? You know, I was at a funeral in the fall for someone that was family to many of us in here, and we loved deeply. Um, To me, he was much like a grandfather. It was Donna's father, a wonderful man. I remember him when he was so lively. I was even thinking this morning as I prepared this message and was praying. I remember when I was younger, he'd take me out. He was a very gentle guy, and he'd gently take care of a garden like no one I've ever saw saw before. Like he'd hold a tomato with such love. You ever meet these people? Like you see this tomato ripening right here? It's beautiful. But he'd hold every vegetable with so much love. I remember when he had so much life in him and he lived a good life and God blessed him and he got older and it was just his time. So I got, he was a veteran, so I got to stay back with his uh, grandsons and uh, we were You know, the ceremonial, you take the flag off and you need to do everything ceremonial. So we got to hold it and do everything proper. But that's also the last time that they close the casket. And if you don't prepare yourself for that, it's very jarring. It's very jarring. Because this is a person you knew your whole life. You you laughed with, you loved, you, you saw them have life. You have so many good memories with and. 
when all the ceremony was done inside the funeral home, they shut finally that top piece of the casket. And I looked in and I realized this was the last time on earth I would see his face. And I realized when that was shut, I would never see his face on earth again. And for me, that was jarring. But quickly, my faith kicked in. And I said, that's not it. Not only is that not it, he's with God now. He's not dead, he's alive. He's with Christ, experiencing more joy than he ever experienced here. And think of the most joyful moments you spent with your loved ones. And I said, because Christ has risen, because he is the resurrection and the life, because he has the power over life and death, his body's still there, but he's alive with Christ. Amen? That's the power of this good news, the power of the gospel, and even, dare I say, the reality that we live in as believers in the resurrection. So maybe you're here today, and you feel the weight and the loss of someone you loved who passed on, who believed in the heart that Christ rose from the dead. I'm here to tell you, sorrow's just for the night. Joy comes in the morning. You will see them again because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Maybe you're someone who, you see your body getting older. We're dying. Wrinkles, less hair, slower, getting hurt easier. It's happening. We all will taste death. But there's nothing fear. For those who are in Christ, maybe you're someone, you're getting older, you're watching your body die, and you're saying, the best years are behind me. No, they're not. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. This is the prequel. You'll look back and say, I can't believe what Jesus prepared for me in heaven. The love, the reconciliation, the joy, the beauty of that is all because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You can have that hope. Amen? Some of you might have lost a child. Some of you might have lost a child. Or someone listening after this gets put online might, may have lost a child. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you will see that child again in full joy. Amen? Because that's the power of God. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of Christ. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, that is what he is saying to us. So how do I apply this doctrine to, my li to our lives, to my life? Jesus' resurrection. You'll notice the pattern as we went through this um, sermon series. There's a pattern here. We talked about Jesus living the perfect life. What did he defeat by living the perfect life? He defeated the power of Satan. Because Satan tried to tempt him, like he tempted Adam and Eve to sin, and he failed miser miserably. He defeated the power of Satan. Then he dies on the cross. What does he defeat the power of? The power of sin. Sin has no more power because Jesus took the punishment. Two of our greatest enemies. Then the third, and maybe our greatest enemy... Death. What does he defeat through the resurrection? 
he defeats death forever so that those who believe in him will never die but have eternal life. So the first thing that I want you to ask yourself today is the question, I want you to hear this question from the word of God like Jesus is asking it because he asked Martha this question. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And I'll read you what Martha said because it's very powerful. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you hear the humility in that answer? I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who has come into this world to save it. She identified him rightly for who he was, the resurrection and the life. Let me tell you what about Martha. She has never died because of her faith. Now, this puts an important question before us because we're all in different places, right? Notice that the object of our faith matters. It's not just faith itself. The object of our faith matters. Notice the question is not, do you believe in yourself? The question is not, do you believe in yourself? Because believing in ourself is not connecting to the source of life that is Christ. Believing ourself will not give us eternal life. Notice that is not, do you believe in the universe? The question is not, do you believe in the universe? Jesus is very clear. Believing in the universe will not give you eternal life. Notice how clear Jesus is. Believing in any other central figure of any faith, you will not be connected to the source of life, which is Christ, the Son of God, who came to save the world. Jesus is very specific. He says, do you believe in me? Do you believe that I am the Christ? Do you believe that I rose from the dead? Do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? And I want to ask you today, If you do not believe that, will you strongly consider and would you seek and maybe even for the first time in a while, would you pray and ask God, God, if you are even there, would you reveal the truth of your son to me? Because if if it is truth, I want to know and I want to believe because it's by faith that we enter into eternal life. And the final point here, of a way just to really feel the glory of the resurrection is to ask this question. Do you know why the grave could not hold Jesus? Do you know why the grave could not hold Jesus? Why he rose from the dead? I'm going to use a story maybe we all know to help drive this gospel point home. Many of us either seen the Chronicles of Narnia or we've read the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Now, I'm going to say the lion's name wrong. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to say lion, and you guys know who he is. Because my wife calls me out every time I say this lion's name wrong, so I'm not going there. I'm learning from last year. Should I give it a shot? Aslan. Wow, Father, you are. You grow us. 
I listened to that on YouTube and I got scared right before I was going to say it this morning. You don't know the persecution I get from my wife and oldest daughter. Like, I still can't say miracle, right? I can't, miracle. And my oldest daughter just persecutes me. Stop saying it like that, Dad. I'm like, man, I'm trying. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, what happens is Edmund, who is one of the sons of Adam, representing us, it's an allegorical story written by C.S. Lewis, and he intentionally wrote this to represent Christ and his people. So the son of Adam, Edmund, becomes a traitor to the white witch who is representing Satan. In each year, a traitor had to be sacrificed on the stone table to atone for, we'll just say sins, to help the cause for us understanding it. And if the sins weren't atoned for when it came to traitors, what would happen is all of Narnia would be destroyed. That was like written in the deep magic. That's how the book explains it. So what Aslan does, representing Christ, he steps in to take the place of Edmund, who is a traitor. And as they're bringing him up to the stone table, which represents the cross, they're absolutely humiliating him. And actually, if you're watching with your kids, that's a serious scene. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Turn your heads. It's like getting crazy, just all these, you know, ghouls and stuff, yelling stuff out. But they're humiliating. They rip out his mane. They beat him. They're rejoicing in his death. And they bind him to the stone table. And they kill him and they rejoice and they think they have victory. But if you saw in the movie or read the book, you know what happens. Aslan rises from the dead and he defeats all the armies of evil. Everyone rejoices just like Christ rose from the dead. Now, why I want to share the story with you is I want to share with you, if you don't already know, what C.S. Lewis wrote on the stone table that I think is helpful to understand why the grave, the tomb, could not hold Jesus. This was written on the stone table. If a willing victim that has committed no treachery is killed in the traitor's stead, the stone table will crack and even death itself will turn backwards. What happened in the tomb was the sinless one was in the tomb. And he took the place of traitors like us. And the grave could not hold the sinless one. The perfect one, the author of life, the source of life, the one who created all us, the one who died for our sin, the ones who long for us to be reconciled to him, the one who longs for us to live forever with him. You know, it's God's desire for each one of us to exist with him forever in perfect love. And that's why he sent his son and that's why he rose from the dead. It's not just us wanting to live forever. It's Christ wants us to live forever with him and he has done everything to give in his life and rising from the dead to send the message of the gospel so each one of us will be saved and believe. He cries out through his Holy Spirit, through his word, believe in me, I love you. I rose again so you could exist forever with me. Only believe. And for all of us who believe today, the great news is we will never taste death. We will exist with God forever. We will see our loved ones and rejoice with them. And heaven's going to be something else. 
says, no eye has seen, no ear has even heard what God has prepared for those who love him. This is the prequel. The best is yet to come because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your gospel is so wonderful and powerful and beautiful. I thank you for this wonderful hope and this wonderful faith. I thank you for your son who defeated death and rose again. I thank you for the hope of seeing all our loved ones and the hope of every day that passes, we are closer to existing with you forever in a heavenly kingdom, Lord, that you have prepared for us. Help us to believe. Help us to stand fast. Help us to stand firm. And Jesus, we declare even now that we believe you are the resurrection and the life, Lord, and we love you. Amen.